0: I'm Stefan Baumann, and welcome to another episode of Stefan Baumann's podcast. Today we have some fascinating information to talk about. But first, we're going to be talking about how to create colors and portraits, marketing your work and getting your stuff out there, and avoiding artist frustration, which we all experience. And we're also going to discuss what judges look for. What is it that judges look for for painting? What is it that makes your painting stand out over others? So we're going to be discussing a little bit of that secret about what artists, judges are looking for when you go into a competition. So sit back and relax and enjoy this conversation and I'll talk to you on the other side. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's been an amazing uh, couple of days here at The Red. I, I have 100 coaching students that I coach. I have a lot of students, in fact, today one of my one of my protege I have like two levels of, of uh, coaching students one is my regular coaching students and I have my proteges that are really working hard to become famous and uh, he kind of got really pissed off at the whole art market last week and he said what am I going to do with this I said, yeah, he quit if you can imagine he quit a job at 35 has two kids and a wife and a house and a market. And he said, I want to be an artist. And he owned a thing. So there were four or five stores that he owned. and He sold everything so that he could go into art full time. You can imagine the sacrifice that he made. And he gets really upset. He does a lot of, you know, things. And he can't see why all these art galleries have such shitty paintings and they don't want his. And his work is really getting good. But part of it is because he's so driven and determined and i kept on saying just keep on working with that facebook group keep on finding the groups keep doing the stuff so he got so pissed off yet last week he goes i'm just going to do a bear painting and i don't care about anything i'm just going to throw it out there two hours later it sold for fifteen hundred dollars you know and so sometimes you just have to lay a lot of foundation and believe that something will happen you've got to take chances you know you got to put your money on the line you got to do that kind of stuff even you know like a lot of people's big big thing is to actually commit to coaching it's a big investment you know it's not so much that uh, you know it's not affordable i try to keep it as cheap as possible but you know you got to put something on the line you got to say this is this is what i'm going to do this is this is my next step and you got to you know be determined that's what you're going to do and the facebook thing is a big learning curve, and we'll talk about that a little bit more next week. For the most part, Jeffrey, if you're listening in or watching later, you must absolutely start simplifying your paintings. I mean, you know, this is this is taking on way too much for the level of painting that you're at. Um, I don't know what your goals are as far as being an artist, but I think you know having some coaching classes would be great. But if this is all you can afford, my suggestion would be two or three items. And you want to make sure that you're one big item, one smaller item, and one tiny item. And I would suggest to watch the Bauman Effect number 13 because a lot of this stuff is kind of discussed with that. But you've got to kind of have the Barbra Streisand effect, that light coming in that hits one object. And and the rest of the objects need to kind of fall back into shadow, kind of like the old masters. Yeah, the, the reason why those paintings were so successful is because doing Kuroskuro, which is you know, the dark to light, is, is a um, method that has been proven throughout the years. And then you, getting yourself a light bulb or, or some kind of light system is usually makes a huge difference too. I have a lot of students that, that go, oh no, I'm not gonna invest in that, it's too expensive. You know, Even like, yeah, you know, $100 is too expensive. You can buy them off of eBay, those pepper lights. And they always like try to find, well, I saw one for $75, but I saw this for 40 And so I figured they kind of look the same. They're going to work the same, but they don't. Yeah, you want to buy those halogen vintage old lamps because they are incredible. And they are the best investment that you can make. And you get them to spot on your painting. Uh, it makes all the difference in the world. So if you don't have any of you know, those things, pay attention to eBay because eBay, they do sell them and you can get a good price on them, and it will change the way you paint forever. Peggy, so one of the rules about painting birds like hummingbirds and these odd little birds that have you know unusual things is that you don't wanna go bigger than life size. And so I thought this was a hummingbird and this is, how big is this canvas? It's a 16 by
1: 20.
0: Yeah, so chances are you went bigger than life size. Uh, When I first saw it, I thought it was a hummingbird. I'm like, going, well, that's even too big in relationship to stuff that's around it. But if it's a kingfisher, I I could look one up real quick and see what it is. But let me me tell you a few things about doing animals and stuff. So first thing, when painting animals, you want to always come up with the most interesting view that has the most interesting silhouette. So there was another question that we're going to get to hopefully a little bit later about anatomy. And, and animals. If you just do a side profile, it's like wh- uh, Whistler's mother. It's like, it's not very engaging. It's not, it's, it's not the way we usually see animals because normally by the time we see animals, they've already seen you. So usually they're like watching you, you know? So usually their heads are turned and you want to kind of get a three quarter view. The bird is kind of in, you know, in progress or, or looks like it's moving. You don't want to have direct view because then you lose the silhouette of the beak. The best way you can paint animals is try to make them as interesting as possible. The same thing with humans. You want to always, you know, they're movable things, and so the silhouette of them, that the the angle of them, you know, uh, he kind of looks a little bit like a, a handle for a for a pistol or something. You know, it's just it just kind of lays there flat. And what you wanna do when you're doing animals is is first you wanna always engage with them so the eyes are looking at you. And you wanna kind of always see if if there's a uh, pupil or a color in the eyes, because this is crucial right here. And by making a big black head and if there's no actual iris or anything in there, kinda looks like their skull is hollow. And so you always wanna be sure that you make the eyes the most expressive part of the painting. Uh, I was talking this morning, somebody saw my Chinatown painting. They go, oh, that's one of my favorite paintings. And uh, I said, yeah, one of my students said, yeah, how did you learn how to write Chinese bakery, you know, ab- above the building? I go, I didn't. I just copied the symbols, you know. And it's the same thing with painting animals or anything. You just kind of copy what you see. But always look for the most complicated pose you can because otherwise it just looks like it's a stuffed bird on a stick. Always remember that everything that you're putting on a painting, somebody's going to read something into it. It's, it's amazing when I when I go try to find pictures of animals and things like that. Yeah, the first thing you want to do is you don't want, if you're doing a bear, you don't want the muzzle to come straight out you know, at you. You want to have three quarters so you see a little bit of the muzzle. Uh, you want to turn their body a little so that there's a little bit of action to it. One of the part of the keys that we teach is that you know we're attracted to light. light first and when you want to get the biggest effect or your central focal point you want the brightest bright next to the darkest dark now that doesn't mean that you know you this this here which is brighter than this is going to be the you know, central focal point when you're painting a painting and especially when you do planar air painting you want to break it into three four or five values mostly four values It's like, you know, you have a foreground, middle ground, background, and then you'll have like a sky or a lake or, you know, and usually you see those values when you squint your eyes. So if we squint our eyes at this, we have a value over here of one, value two, value three. Um, This is still kind of value one. You kind of break it up into chunks and we call it chunking in in my workshops. So you chunk it in one, two, three uh, different values. Um, And so when you're breaking things up into different values, you want to have the the lightest value, which is this value. And when you squint, you can see this whole section in here is a chunk. Um, This is a chunk and this is a chunk. So there could be broken into four. And usually what happens is that planar painters kind of do that to get the canvas covered. And I usually call this like part of the grisaille painting. But when I'm I'm doing the beginning uh, chunking in, I usually just work with uh uh uh, value of the brown you know different values of that and i also include ultramarine blue and then the white at the canvas i don't actually mix the color and i kind of chunk it in in different values with using just basically two colors and i like using ultramarine with the asphaltum because it gives me a little bit more you know uh, when i'm chunking it in i have a little more color balance there's so many ways to start a painting. There's some artists that start off in the far left-hand corner and they just work through it all the way through. And then you know, some artists will work on the sky only and then work on the, the, on the rest. I always start off with the center focal point. One of the things that I usually want is a sense of place, which means that I like to have a foreground so I don't feel like I'm standing in the water. But not all artists have that. So, But it is kind of something when you construct it, if you had a little bit of foreground in here, it may balance it a little bit better. Right. Well, first thing, uh, you know, I'm looking at your picture right here. And there's no way that that resembles you because this is a reverse image of you. Yeah, this is the way you see yourself when you look in the mirror. But we see yourself yeah. backwards. We see yourself... Yeah, like this eye is actually that eye, you know, when we look at you here, we're seeing a, a, yeah. a, a portrait of yourself. And so what you're looking at is a reverse image. So we can't look at this and, and try to compare unless you have perfect symmetry. And if you have perfect symmetry, you would be one of those beautiful scarlets wow. in, in Hollywood. Um, yeah, what we call natural beauties. And it's because they're absolutely perfect, symmetrical. So um You're beautiful as it is, but you know it. Yeah, you know, we all have one eye a little higher, one eye lower. So you can imagine if you have a eye, you know, it's like your left eye is a little higher than your your right eye, and then but here you have your right eye higher than your left, and that's the mirror. That's a mirror thing. So we can never. That's why when you look at pictures of yourself, you go that I, that doesn't look like me. You know that's that's. it, it You always kind of feel like it's kind of odd, and if you've ever gone and dressed where they've had three mirrors. And you look at the mirror, that's the reflection of the mirror and you go, who's that? Oh, that's me. You know, it's just because it's all in reverse. Um, So I'm never looking for a likeness. What I am looking for is, you know, connection. And I can always tell if somebody's working from a photograph or from a, uh, uh, a, a, a mirror is because if you're working from a mirror you end up with this kind of staring quality to your painting so all, you could go through uh history and look up um self-portraits by artists and you can always see they have this kind of intense glance you know and people think it's because artists are mean and and kind of kind of uh, uh curmudgeons living in their studio and they barely get out so their eyes are like really intense but it's actually because you look staring in a mirror concentrating um, the other thing,
1: the other thing is remembering marking the mirror so you know
0: where your head should, goes. The way
1: your face should be.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mentioned that. <laughs> that, in, that was tough. Yeah. Did you watch that on one of my videos? Yes. Yeah, because you <laughs> could you could actually like put a mark on your forehead and put a mark on the mirror so you can kind of line it up some. So you kinda of get, you know, that that kind of thing. But you got oh, every time you look you gotta go back to you know, finding that spot where you're at when you started. So that helps. But a lot of it is just a lot of practice. But you know, I think it's 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 sweet enough that you could use it as a as part of your marketing. Um, and then we'll work on a few more as we go. What about do you use the Zorin palette? And his Zorn palette is like ivory, black, and cad red, and um, yellow ochre. I think is the three. And you know, he he went off throughout his life painting. I guess that that's why he painted all of his portraits. I find his paintings kind of dull and boring myself. But um, I think you know we have we have a relationship to kind of what flesh color is, and we could just kind of look down on the edge of our our thing here and you could see you know like Pat over here she's got kind of right now uh, kind of a grayish color your color is very fleshy mine's very pinky um, Peggy is is always uh, a little chalky but see you could see just right here we're kind of all Caucasians and you can kind of see that we're all different colors and so you know when you rely on just a portrait color it's 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 not a way to go about learning how to do paintings because then you would have that portrait color and then you try to paint pat in this lighting and it's, it's going to look fake and when i take the the you know you could buy a, a tube of flesh and you can squeeze it out on your on your wrist here this is usually where i test color when i'm doing portraits with students is i'll put the color of flesh here and you'll be surprised that the flesh color of a human is actually much darker than what you think it should be um, so i i would say next time go in the studio and mix up what you think would be a flesh color and then put it like right here and the reason why i like this is because this is you can see how warm and dark my arm is because i'm outside working quite a bit um this is a little bit truer to the value of you know where i want to start at and you put a little dab of color right there and if it kind of blends in, you're kind of in the right value zone, and that's usually the first thing you want to do is get the value correct. Then um, you you go darker and lighter, and then we follow the the temperatures. Is that you can put in more warm colors in the shadows, and if we just take a look at what shadows are, you know, they're they're absent of light. It's usually light disappearing goes into a default, and that's where. A lot of people get confused about the temperatures and stuff is that where light hits that's the color of the light and whatever is happening with the light the rest of the painting goes into shadow apple so Thalo yellow green mixed up with alizarin crimson which I don't like using anymore so you could use phthalo red rose but the original recipe that was given to me was alizarin crimson and Thalo yellow green and that makes the most amazing flesh color so if you kind of look at this red and this 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 green you go how does that make flesh it makes really awesome flesh and you can go definitely you know add more red to it you get kind of my flesh color add more more green to it you're going to get your flesh color um but then you still have to kind of go in and put the shadow colors in, so you're still putting ultramarine blue in and asphaltum in for the for the shadows, and then the highlight you want to get a little bit more lemon yellow and white, and so you still get that. But that's just another you know another recipe. Uh, you can, and I'm sure you've done this. You go into you know portrait painting uh, videos, and every artist has their own shtick. You know. Um, I used to follow Daniel Green a lot, and uh, you know I've had dinner with him a couple of times before he passed away. And Daniel Green uh, has this huge, complicated palette, and I do teach that to some students. But you do a lot of pre-mixing, and there's sap greens and stuff like that. But the reality is, is that actually there's three primary colors: red, yellow, blue. If you look at your your printing, uh, your printer. Uh, it makes all of the flesh colors you possibly want and all you have is a cyan a magenta and a yellow with a black and we could get all these different colors in fact your co- whole computer's tuned up to you know uh is it green i don't know what is it is, H-E-B or gbs or whatever um so the colors that that rgb rgb yeah so it's you know the green is kind of an important thing, but phthalo yellow, green, and alizarin crimson make a really good flesh color. Um, but it all depends on what color light it is. And that's why you, when you hear people going, this is my flesh color and this is all you need to do. It's like, really? Well, what if you, you, you put a blue light bulb into your, into your you know, light? It's like all of a sudden now things are gonna change completely. So it's all about painting what you see, but everything's a variation of red, yellow, or blue. And if you want to learn how to mix colors that's all you need to do is is ask yourself five questions does this color need more yellow in it yeah that's one question does this color need more red in it that's the second question does this color need more blue in it so you're getting the three primary colors just ask yourself those questions you'll be surprised how all of a sudden your eyeballs and your and the cones in your head change and you could answer those and that doesn't need to be lighter or darker and those are your five questions. And basically almost any red, yellow, or blue will get you where you want. I, I pretty much work with five colors. Um, so, and you can get a whole variety of colors. So, and Lee. Thank you. Lee, do you have any other questions, Mary, before we go to Lee? Uh, no,
1: thank you, I appreciate
0: it. Okay, Lee, how are you doing?
1: Good. <laughs> I, I just want to say I agree with Mary. This was it was um, a real learning experience. I I didn't finish it. I love all of it, but um, anyway, it was it was frustrating too. Well, fun, but it was that it was really hard to keep looking back at the mirror and like, okay, get the right angle. Oh, okay, get the you know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> And you had to complicate. You had a, yeah. You had to complicate it by putting brushes and stuff in there. I know. Yeah. <laughs> add, add I you- usually do have a no, but I usually do have one in
1: my mouth because I'm working with two. But anyway, yeah. And then I complicated it with
0: that. Yeah. Are you, are you oil painting?
1: Yeah,
0: it's oh. oil. Okay, so one and of the. So
1: I'm still getting used to, and I made it too small. I made it. I, I did this on an eight x ten, and I should have done it bigger. But um, I did it on the um, As- masonite mm-hmm.
0: board. Yeah, MDF board.
1: And so, so I'm still having trouble with the slickness, and I didn't prime it with anything. So anyway, that's kind of why it's streaky. Mm-hmm.
0: Anyway this the first self-portrait you've done yes okay you know it's it's again it's kind of hard to see you in it because we're seeing you in reverse and that's the first thing that people do so one thing about doing portraits is is this is one secret that i'm going to pass on is that when you when you present a portrait to somebody never ever ever show them the source that you're working from and the person you're going to do the portrait of will always be disappointed Because will go with that because it's a reverse image, and the the problem is is that you're painting a reverse image and you show that image to other people and they're like, well, that doesn't look like my wife. That's one of the problems that Sargent had. He just got sick and tired of painting people's portraits because he would paint them as they sat in front of him, and the 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 women that he painted, yeah, would go, oh, I don't look like that. You know, they didn't quite get the concept that they were seeing themselves, you know, in reverse. You have a beautiful effect of light. It would have been, you want to always make sure to have bigger pupils. You want to always make the pupil yeah. big enough so that it touches up underneath the eye, the eyelash itself. Yeah. Let's go to our, our questions here. They're good questions. And I think you. after an hour of our Zoom call and looking at work, there's other questions out there that people have. And I thought this was a really great question. It's like, what makes art show judges roll their eyes now i don't know if it's like you know it, roll their eyes that's kind of a full statement it's like you know are they rolling it like going oh jesus or are they going wow you know does it roll forward or backwards so but uh, i'll answer this question you know in a couple of ways one first thing uh you know it's like the concept of the painting that's you know that's my first key is is concept and if you go to patreon for those of you that are on my patreon station who haven't gone there if you go to the patreon site uh you can actually access my my keys there and there's no charge for that but you can we're adding more to it as we're writing the book mary and i are are saying that's a key or that's not quite a key and we're developing that part of the book right now so it's really quite exciting but the concept is the first thing so you want to wow a judge you want to have something that makes them stand up and say well that's a great idea um and so the concept has to be kind of good the second thing that i have on my keys is the focal point and the focal point is the thing that will either grab you or not pretty much artists will uh judges will walk by a painting if it doesn't grab them and so in our, in our studying, the focal point is always the effect of light. And you bring a focal point into a painting, regardless of whatever it is, that's an element of light and not a thing, uh, you're going to get the judge's attention. And really that's gonna be the main thing. I mean, whether you are painting um, abstract, whether you're painting contemporary paintings, landscape paintings, you're painting still life paintings, always have to give the viewer something to look at in fact right now uh you know before we had the big fire out here in weed my house got flooded and i've it's been totally stripped out including the fireplace and so i had the rock man come over and in the process of trying to figure out how to you know put in a new rock fireplace i said there's like two walls and i said I need a focal point on both walls, you know? So I need a rock that stands out that everything else works around. And it's gotta be somewhere in the middle and to catch people's attention. And so it's the same thing when you're doing abstract art. Most abstract art is boring because it's literally the same thing from end to end. It doesn't pull the viewer in. And we as humans love the effect of light. It catches our eye. You can drive by something and instantly Turn your head and go, Frank, stop the car, back up. You've all had those moments where, you know, your your, your spouse goes, No way, got, we got we to gotta get to LA before our last, you know, world world issue. So it's like, you know, it's like you've got to get, get that. The effect of light is the thing that stops us dead. It's the thing that, that makes a painting so if you can get the effect of light in your painting or something that has to do with lighting in your painting you're going to get the judge's attention so uh so that would be my my biggest grandest thing is come up with a concept and basic concept about effective light and you're definitely going to get an art judge's attention um what kind of subjects stand out in an art show yeah i think here again, too, you know, it's, it's like, it depends. Our shows are kind of difficult because if you're doing a show in competition, um, it, it all depends on your judges. It all depends on who's there. You know, you go to a Western show, which a lot of shows that I go to are, you know, of course, what stands out or when I do cowboys and, and Native Americans and horses and things like that, that gets them really excited. Um, uh so much depends on the judge you know it's like a lot of artists when i when they hire me to be a judge a lot of times they they think oh you're gonna you know be a landscape oil painter plain air you you know and a lot of times i will you know my bar is really high for that so i i have never given a bester show or a first place award in a show to an oil painter yet um I've given uh, best of shows that were colored pencils, uh, watercolors, acrylics. Uh, a lot of times when I get to the oil painting, um, just because so many of them are just not very well done, um, they're usually in the in honorable mentions. Um, I just expect more from oil painters than just because it's oil painting. So, but it just depends on the judge. You know, the judge is going to choose something that is favorable to them. And they have other criterias. And so, you know, it's really hard to tell. Uh, I did the Klamath Museum, the Favel Museum up in Klamath. And, you know, I, there was a respectable judge. And he totally snubbed me. But my painting uh, got uh, uh, People's Choice. And so, you know, People's Choice Awards, I think, are the best. And there's just no telling what what captures them. There's just it just is and so um, yeah don't paint for shows don't think about trying to win shows shame on you paints things that are extraordinary for you stay focused on on always making better work and have integrity for your work if you start painting for shows or for what sells you know you might win a ribbon here and there but you lose some integrity of who you are remember painting is autobiographical. It's about your experiences in life. And if you don't have that element in your paintings, eventually it becomes really transparent. So uh, paint what you're passionate about and you'll do well. Um, What do judges look for? Again, that's the third question that she has here. And again, it just all depends on uh, who the judge is. You know, it's like, Obviously, they're gonna to lean towards a certain kind of look or like, if they're watercolorists, they, they like that. But, you know, like I said, if you, if you work with light, you're gonna get their attention, regardless if it's a watercolor or acrylic. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's not uncommon for a contemporary painter to actually fall in love with a landscape and vice versa. So what are they looking for something new and different? Well, it's kind of hard to surprise anybody anymore with, with, with work. It's kind of nice to come up with something like that, but we don't see a lot of that originality anymore because there's just so many artists out there. But they will always acknowledge uh, quality. And if it has a human emotion to it, you know, that's just part of, part of uh, communication. You know, an abstract painting that's about nothing but just squares and triangles doesn't quite move a judge as much as trying to express an abstract of love and you know you you come up with a theme like that and you're able to express it the judges will notice it but you got to be able to be good at that so that would be my recommendation so let's go down to a couple more questions here um this is what i was saying in the zoom call somebody had asked me about have i ever used uh or recommend the zorn palette and it's like you know I, he's not my favorite artist. Uh, Soraya, uh, Sargent, they're my favorite artists. And, and they, you know, their color is like, whoa, great. And they're always uh, transferring. I find, I do work with a limited palette myself, but I find that, you know, if you if you just do limited palette and you don't understand how to do highlights and shadows, it's really boring, you know, the colors become. And I feel a little bit about his paintings are like really kind of, yeah kind of nothing shocks me yeah you know, I, I do love to see the richness of a, a sergeant painting or the bright lights on sails of, a, of a, um, a sorority painting so you know color is is a magnificent tool uh, the Zorn palette is a is a simple way of getting uh, uh, the effect of shadows and highlights but like I talked about in my in my um, uh, review of some of the portrait painters that do their portraits it's like it all depends on what kind of light you're getting and so for just standard portraits it's it's fine i think it's ivory black with yellow ochre and cad red and i just trying to work with my memory because i don't work with it too much but yeah you kind of get the colors it's red yellow blue basically and it kind of works but eh, you know it's like there's a lot of other artists that paint more exciting paintings so i wouldn't limit myself to the zorn palette do do expensive brushes make a difference uh and same question with paints and it's like um you know give give a master painter a shitty brush and they'll do a masterful painting because it all depends on who's behind it and i've seen really a, a lot of painters that spent a lot of painting on brushes and, and a lot of money on brushes, and they would have been just better off just getting the cheap ones. Um, I personally feel that if you're going to go into battle with a painting, and that's kind of what it feels like at times, is that you gotta have a sharp knife, you know? And if you're gonna go into battle, you gotta have a good brush. And you, you, you go at it, I have people come to my workshops even this last workshop, after I preached so much up in, you know, it's like my my Shasta workshops, and I preach there all the time. It's like you got to have decent or good brushes. And I've talked them into pretty much always getting really good plain air easels. Uh, and I kind of figure that they've heard me talk about brushes, but I've had people show up at my workshops with really good, expensive easels and then just really shitty brushes i mean horrible brushes i mean i'll pick them up and i go this isn't a brush it's a stick look you can't even bend this you know um so you could spend a fortune on brushes and you know if you don't take care of them they're useless uh you could take a really shitty old brush that's been chewed up and you could find a use for it um i don't think you need to spend a lot for brushes but it is the sword you're going in battle with and it's the same thing with paint. I have students that show from my workshops. At one time, uh, Costco was giving these these uh, uh, plain air um, Prashad boxes. Uh, they had them for sale, and they would fill them up with pencils and acrylics and and oil paints and yeah, erasers. And then it was in this beautiful French easel, and it was fifty bucks. And you know, you kind of get what you pay for. If you buy ten brushes for a dollar they're worth less than a dollar, you know? You, it's the same thing with paints. If, you get, if you're buying a set and it's cost you a, a dollar for, for 10 colors, um, you're gonna get really substandard paint. Not crazy about Hobby Lobby brand of paints and uh, Winsor Newton and student grade Winsor Newton. I've seen really some master painters use, uh, you know, kind of cheaper line paints. And do really good. It's not going to make your painting any better. So, you have some artists that buy, you know, uh, Solier paints and uh, Old Holland paints, and they think, oh, that's going to make me a better artist. It's like, no, you're just wasting your, your money. And even buying tubes of paint that are, are hues, like, you know, f- kind of made up colors, uh, like instead of using pure, you know, azure uh, for ultramarine blue, um, uh, if you, if you, uh, uh, if you're, if you're painting, that really doesn't make that huge of a difference. It really is just, you know, in the right hands, things kind of work. Now, if you buy really cheap paints, yeah, it's It's, it's not, it's not going to work as well, but you know, I pretty much like Michael Harding's, um, paints. They're kind of, you know, midstream. They're good. Uh, these fancy, tubes of paint that you spend hundreds, hundreds of dollars, save your money, buy better canvases. Canvases actually, in fact, forget the canvases, you know, paint on beautiful finished boards because that's what oil prime canvases are trying to mimic because you don't have all the dots. Your canvas will make a much bigger difference and you don't have to spend a lot of money on that either. If you take an MDF board, like a masonite board you buy at the hardware store, cut it up and spray it with auto primer. It, it's got to give you the same effect as an sand board. And the finished quality is going to be amazing. And now a lot of people are painting on aluminum. And it's like, oh, wow, well, that's the best thing. It's like, it's just the same. Once you get a primer on something, it's all the same. So you don't need to buy, you know, more expensive aluminum. It sounds really like... At one point, they were painting on copper, you know. And, and the thing is, they go, well, it's got longevity. It's like, you know, don't worry about your ego so much paint something that, you know, that gives you a nice quality. Don't worry about how things are going to be a hundred years from now, because, you know, as, as we look at it, we're not going to be around a hundred years from now. So, you know, if global warming keeps going on, we're going to be underwater. And so maybe aluminum would be good to paint on because it will at least be under the ocean uh and and doesn't rot away so it might be a good reason but if you're doing really really good paintings on boards and you become a master painter like zorn or or sergeant believe me that they will figure out a way to conserve your painting so that they'll last forever if there's a problem and in, in the meantime it's try to find the the most affordable surfaces to paint on that give you the 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 most fabulous effect without going broke. And so don't paint on oil prime canvases. Don't buy you know expensive cotton, whatever, buy MDF boards. The only reason why you ever need to buy a canvas canvas is when you're going bigger. So 30 by 40, 40 by 50, 50 by 60, it's really heavy to have a board hanging on your wall. But outside of that, smooth surfaces give you a better, better effect, good brushes work on them longer. You, you know, if you got really a, an expensive brush and you start painting on cotton canvas, it's like going against uh, sandpaper. Uh, so, you know, you, you spend a hundred dollars, look, I spent a hundred dollars and I've got hundred dollar brushes around here. And, uh, but but on the wrong surface, it, it, it just grinds away. Um, almost anything to make a stroke is, is gonna work for you. Um, you probably, the best thing the advice that I would say that if you really wanted to c- come away with something from this talk is, it's not the quality, but it's the quantity. The more paint you put on the canvas, the thicker the paint, the more luscious the painting gets and the more you can blend it, and especially with oil paintings. It's like, I kind of feel sorry sometimes for acrylic artists, although I have a lot of acrylic artists that are my students. Um, but there's just a goopy, luscious, wonderful medium out there called oil painting. And, you know, it stays flexible and wet and you can put it on and thick, nice, juicy, you know, paint should be applied as soft butter onto a canvas and applied lavishly and lusciously and, and watch what the paint does and how it reflects color and when you've got all those holes from the canvas textures, the pores, it's like all of those pores eat up um, uh, a lot of paint first, and they they actually cause areas for light to to absorb in, and so somebody that has a lot of pores on their face doesn't doesn't quite have that really beautiful golden glow. Um, I've never been accused of having a golden glow myself because I've got so many pores on my face, but. Um, but, uh, you, that, that's what takes away the luminosity. And so, you know, more so than the brushes and the paints is a surface and then put paint on that canvas. You're a painter. You're not a stainer. Don't go, put it on there. You'll see the more paint you put on, the more it reflects light, the more awesome it is. So anyway, I've, I've ran on here for long enough and I'm going to let you guys have your Saturday back. You guys on my Zoom call are absolutely amazing. Thank you for taking part of that. Uh, next week, we're going to be discussing some more of the marketing that we do on Zoom. If you're not part of Patreon yet, or you're part of the the, the first group or the second group, and you're interested in doing some more of the marketing on Facebook, um, then uh, you might want to up your up your uh, status there in the zoom group but if you just want to stay where you're at that's great too uh anyway you guys have a fabulous weekend and i look forward to talking with you next week it's always fascinating to have a conversation about painting in general and some of the questions i mean i never really thought about what are judges really looking for but that's the kind of information that you actually find here on the Stephen bauman podcast in the meantime, go to my website www.stephenbauman.com, and there you'll actually see a link to get yourself a free downloadable book. If you like information about my Patreon account, which is part of the conversation that you heard here, or my Facebook, you can get all that information there on my website at stephenbauman.com. Also, if you're interested in getting some personal coaching, which I highly recommend, don't hesitate to give me a call at four one five. 606 9074. So until we meet again, always remember to paint with passion and I look forward to talking with you next week.